0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, church. If you are visiting with us today, or if you're joining us online, or if you're here with us every week, I want to say welcome in the name of Jesus. And during this Advent season, may the peace of Christ and his joy be upon you. We are a church that's being transformed in the image of Christ so that anyone can find God. And we do that three ways, by gathering in the name of the Father, by growing into the image of the Son, and by going in the power of the Spirit. We're in the season of Advent. We're expecting, anticipating the arrival of our Savior and King. Next week... We've been having lots of questions about that. We will have a Christmas Eve service, but it will be at our normal time Sunday morning this time. There won't be any class, but we'll meet together and we'll have our Christmas Eve service Sunday morning next week. Not Sunday night, but Sunday morning. And you can enjoy Christmas Eve with your family and your loved ones. Today we're in Isaiah 61. 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. Isaiah says this The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that they have been devastated for generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for your word, for your word made flesh to us, born as a human being in a manger, your word that has become our salvation. God, we ask, as we ask every Sunday, that you give us ears to hear your word. Do not give us ears to hear, but you give us hearts to follow and lives and bodies that will obey and God, I ask for the gift of preaching, we pray all this in the name of your son, who we celebrate this advent season it easy to sum it and up who we eagerly await. We eagerly await his coming again. In the name of Jesus, amen. So what you're about to hear (laughs) happened in 2002, actually May 7th. Allen Iverson, who is a Hall of Fame basketball player, at the time played for the Philadelphia 76ers. The year before, they had made it to the NBA Finals and lost. And in 2002, they got booted from the first round. They lost in the first round of the NBA playoffs. And not only did he lose that game, he was the franchise player. He was the best player arg- was the best player on their team and arguably, arguably the best player in the NBA, perhaps in the entire world. But he was having conflicts with his coach, he'd been late to practice, there were words exchanged, his coach was the famous Larry Brown, and Larry Brown came out and actually talked about Allen Iverson and that he wasn't, he wasn't, he was late to practice and he didn't, he didn't practice that well. And so at the end of the year press conference on May 7th, 2002, Allen Iverson gives an infinite rant that still lives today.
1: Listen. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting in here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we talking about practice, not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice, not a game, not a, not a, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? man? we're talking about practice. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm supposed to lead by example. I know that. And I'm not I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. <laughs> We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. When you come in the arena and you see me play, you see me play, don't you? You see me give everything I got, right? Yeah, but we talking about practice right now. But it's an issue
0: that you're we're talking on. about
1: practice. Man, I look, I hear you. I, it's funny to me too. I, I mean, it's strange, it's strange to me too, but we talking about practice, man. We're not even talking about the game, the actual game, when it matters. we talking about practice.:
0: and Is
1: it possible, though, that from where he's coming from?: It's easy
0: to sum. So that clip has lived in infinite, infamy for Allen Iverson. So much so that now you probably see the commercial where it's Kevin Hart and it's Allen Iverson. And I don't remember what the commercial's about, but they're talking about it. And he goes, we talking about practice? He goes, no, we're talking about practice. <laughs> and he can make fun of himself now. It even made it into a Ted Lasso episode where Ted Lasso almost recites the whole speech. If you watch that show. And he did say some things that became iconic about how, the way that we received that. That like practice didn't matter to him. Like you don't have to practice. It seemed arrogant. It seemed, it seemed like I was too good for this. But in all fairness to Allen Iverson, the one thing that, that gets missed, and he did say some things that makes you cringe and go, Ugh, really? Practice? But all fairness, Alan Iverson, he also said these words in his interview. He said, "I'm upset for one reason, because I'm in here. I lost. I lost my best friend whom he had lost just a couple months before that. I lost him, and I lost this year talking about the NBA playoffs. Everything is just going downhill for me as far as as just that, you know, as far as my life. And then I'm dealing with this. My best friend is dead, he said. Dead. And we lost. And this is what I have to go through through the rest of the season, through the rest of the summer, until the season is all over again. He's incredibly disoriented. He's frustrated. He's confused. He's a bit lost. In Isaiah, the situation of Israel is this Isaiah's talking and prophesying to God's people who have fallen into the Babylonian hands through captivity. In 597 B.C. And for some of those people who were dwelling in Judah. That that still occupied the land that had been left in ruins. By the original Babylonian destruction. And the successive waves that came. Of people coming through and plundering that land. And taking advantage of the destruction and the confusion. And the disorientation of all the people. Especially the Edomites, who would come through and just plunder off and on. Those people that were left in Judah feel disoriented, frustrated, confused, and lost. But even for those that were taken into captivity, economically they were a bit better. The Babylonians were actually pretty good at letting people they captured enter into business relationships. But what was gone was the worship of Yahweh. They're surrounded by Babylonian gods, Babylonian worship. And what was gone probably most significantly for most of them was this. That Israel had lost its way of life. They lost Jerusalem, their place. They lost the temple, which makes it feel like they lost God's presence. They lost loved ones. They lost security. They lost identity. They lost future. They lost hope. They lost their very way of life. A life under Yahweh's rule. A life marked by justice and peace and communion with God and with others. So, in the midst of this loss, Israel introduces. This servant, who is God's servant, who comes to bring hope and joy and healing and reconciliation and justice and peace. Isaiah 61 says this again. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is the servant talking. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And he goes on to say, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. We know this, that the identity of the servant is inextricably tied up with the commitment to God's will for not only God's people, but for the world as well. A commitment to be present as an agent of God's mercy to the broken and to the oppressed. This servant is the one who is announcing that after years of mourning, the time has arrived in which God will restore the conditions of justice and peace that characterize God's reign in the world. That is at least what we know about this servant. And historically, the servant, while it's been attributed to many different people, historically, one of the, one of the people it was attributed to was this servant, that the God, this agent of God, was going to be Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, who would ultimately come in and bring Babylon to their knees and send Israel back home. And what's interesting that when you hear, and they will rebuild the cities and renew and restore, one of the differences between the Babylonians and Cyrus, who's a Persian, the Medes and Persians, is the Babylonians wanted to wipe everything out, culture, everything, religion, everything. said, you're going to become Babylonian. But Cyrus actually, not only did he send them home, but he sent them with financial aid to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city. And Israel often saw Cyrus as God's servant. Even though Cyrus probably didn't know Yahweh from any other God. But this would never last. Israel would experience loss again. So this story keeps happening over And over again. And by the time you get to the New Testament, it's not the Babylonians who have taken Israel captive, but it's the Romans that have done it. And that is a bitter pill to swallow. If you've halfway listened to Brett and I preach, or halfway paid attention to the Bible, that Israel is under Roman captivity has become, and that that's a bitter pill to swallow, you know that that's a reality. And so when we get to this famous passage that you it's ringing in your ears you've heard this before and you haven't just heard it through isaiah in fact the first time you heard it probably wasn't in isaiah at all it actually arrives in the mouth and the lips of jesus in luke chapter 4 verse 16 through 21 says this and jesus went to nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the sabbath he went into the synagogue as was his custom He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Although it's not chap didn't say chapter 61, that's what he unrolled, and it said this: The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. Gave it back to the attendant. And sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. And he began by saying to them, today. Today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the Gospel of Luke, besides the words of Isaiah, the first word to come out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of Luke is the word today. It's the very first word. And it's significant that this is his first word because after reading and reciting this very famous passage that is from Isaiah about the servant of the Lord, he says today, right now, the reign of God has arrived. All of this that Isaiah was talking about For the poor, for the oppressed, for the broken hearted, for the blind. The year of the Lord's favor has arrived today. In Jesus Christ, the reign of God has arrived in the world. And this has real life implications for the poor and the oppressed, for the broken hearted. For the blind, for those in debt, for those that have no hope, for those that have frustrated, for those that are disoriented, for those that are lost, for those that have lost their joy, who've lost their future. Jesus stands up and reads this scroll and says, right now. This moment, right here, everything changes. In Jesus Christ, God's reign has arrived. But if we're honest, it doesn't really always feel like that, does it? Because I'm up here talking about joy and hope, the poor, the brokenhearted, and being mended, and reconciliation and healing. And I know many of you are walking into this room going, yeah, that'd be nice. If you're honest, you know that's true. I know it's true. But Brett talked about God's time. And God's time is not like our time. Today, in terms of time, maybe have a little bit different meaning and understanding for us than it does for God. Because what we're talking about when Jesus says, today, this has been fulfilled. What he's saying is, this, the reign of God, is the most real, real in the world even if you can't fully see it it's the most real thing in fact Christians have a way of talking about this and you've heard me talk about this before that the reign of God is already in the world salvation has already arrived in the world but not fully yet this is one of the best ways to describe the reality of the kingdom that is already fully present but not fully yet it is today but today in a way that's difficult to understand and see. It's already here, but not fully yet. So I want to invite you to look at this passage one more way. The identity of the, ser- of the servant, why well, it's been identified as Cyrus, and for sure we believe because Jesus puts these words in his mouth and says, today this is fulfilled. But Isaiah is not just talking about one person. This is also written to a community. The servant of God is, the, is a community as well. It is a community which is an instrument of reconciliation and healing and who p- passes the calling on to others in the community who are open to God's call. The time of God is today in the ministry of Jesus and in the church. That if we follow Jesus, we are God's servant too. And God's timing, his today, in the ministry of Jesus, in the church, and throughout Acts, because Luke and Acts go together, demonstrate that today continues not only through Luke, not only through Acts, but through history and even up to today. Today. The scripture is being fulfilled today. So this is why I talk about that God's people, those that have chosen to follow Jesus, are trying to live into the reality that has already arrived but not fully yet. And I've seen it in this church. If you'll let me brag on you. This reality is to comfort those who mourn. I've seen so many of you, you have this character to comfort those that mourn. You comforted me. You comforted me. This church comforted me before I was even part of this church. When we were in the hospital. Before, we were, before I began preaching here. People from this church came and comforted us. This church has a beautiful way, a brilliant way of bestowing a crown of beauty instead of ashes, to honor them and to, to honor people and cover shame. I've seen it. You do that. You are the servant of God that lives into that reality. I've seen this church take the oil of joy and anoint people with it in their own mourning and suffering. I've seen this church put on the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. But I also want to say this. That we're not perfect. We don't always do that. And I realize that some of you out here may go, yeah, but I didn't experience that. Let me ask you this. Give us a chance to repent. And to practice the most real thing in the world. The reign of God. There are people in this room they want to practice God's reign in the world right now. So, Isaiah 61 10 through 11 says this I delight greatly. Now, this is not the servant talking, this is actually the prophet. He changes from the words of the servant and he says, Personally, he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes the seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. One thing that the prophet says is this, and I think we would say amen and agree, is that we rejoice because God has already saved us. God has already honored you and I. That came in the appearing of Jesus. But the reign of God is also still arriving today in the world. Because it also says this, For the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before the nations. It is still growing. It is still sprouting. Is still coming up. In other words, Alan Iverson says, We're talking about practice. And I want to say today, yes, we are talking about practice. And this is my phrase. And I remember saying this one time to Eric King. Many of you know Eric King. Is that Christians, what they are doing, they are practicing their way into the kingdom of God. Don't hear me saying we're earning our way. We're practicing our way. And he says, Ben, yeah, that's right. That's why Eric King, if you know him, he's a lawyer. He says, that's why we say we don't do the law, that we practice the law. Because we never fully arrive at justice. We just practice it. We're practicing it. Because we know justice exists out there, and we know that's a reality, so we're practicing it. And so we, too, must practice the reign of God in the world in anticipation of his arrival when his reign will be made complete. Because let's be honest. If you want to get used to something, you got to practice. You don't get up off the couch and go run a marathon. I mean, you might try, but it might kill you. Can I get an amen? If you want to experience the joy, some of you are like, there's no joy in a running marathon. If you want to experience that, you got to get up and practice. You can't go from the couch to a marathon. Can't do it. Very few people can. Can you imagine going into a championship game, a team going to a championship game without practicing? Can you imagine performing in a play or a concert without rehearsing? Can you imagine going into a final exam without studying or going to class? Okay, there's some over here that I know can imagine that. And there's some of you that can imagine it as well. But you know what that feels like, right? You walk into that final and you are disoriented, frustrated. There's no joy at the end of the final. We practice so that something will be natural, so that we know what to do and how to act. We practice so that we will be prepared for the championship game. We rehearse or for the play or the concert, so that we don't just go up there and stand up there and just be like deer in the headlights. We study so that we won't be totally overwhelmed by the test and not know what to do or what to say or what to write. I remember the very first time I climbed Mount St. Helens up in the Pacific Northwest. Mount St. Helens erupted 1980. And so the top blew off, but you can hike it up and back in a day. And I was in my 20s, and I was probably the one of the most fit times in my life. But as we got up at O oh dark 30 to drive the hour and 15, hour and 30 minutes to get to the base of Mount St. Helens, I was a little nervous. I was a little bit nervous about hiking this mountain. But there was one guy, he wasn't nervous at all. In fact, he was pretty arrogant about it. We were all complaining. He was like, oh, man, we were all tired. It was like, I don't know, four in the morning, we got up. And I remember him saying, ah, guys, you can sleep when you're dead. We're living life. Let's go. I was nervous. He had so much confidence. We get going. This guy That was so confident. He didn't even make it to the tree line. He turned around and he went back. And when we hiked down off the mountain, we found him asleep in the van. (laughs) For some who aren't in shape, who haven't practiced... Hiking Mount St. Hel- Helens could feel like hell. He wasn't ready for the reality of hiking up that mountain. But for those who train, even though the task was a bit daunting and I was a bit nervous, those who practice, when the time arrives, we got to the top of that mountain. There was freedom, there was fulfillment, there was peace. And there was overwhelming joy. And I was ready for it because I'd practiced. We must practice God's reign in the world, we must proclaim good news. We must bind the brokenhearted, free captives, release prisoners from darkness, comfort those who mourn, bring honor and hope and joy. We must practice the reign of God in the world by rebuilding what has been torn down, by restoring what has been devastated, by renewing what has been ruined, by loving and living justice and peace. Because that is the reign of God. And it has already arrived in the world, and it will arrive one day completely. And my question to you is that, have you practiced, are you ready for it? Are you ready for a world that looks and acts like this? And to be ready, you've got to practice. When we follow Jesus... We become God's servants of reconciliation and healing so that the blessings and righteousness and praise will spring up among all nations. And when we come to these tables, the table of the Lord, this is our rehearsal dinner. This is not some empty ritual that we do just to do. You are practicing the kingdom of God. We call this communion because we are practicing communion with God and with each other. And communion is God's present and His future communion, not only with God, but with others in the entire world. So when you come and you take this small cracker and this small juice, and it may seem like a small moment in a small amount of time, but in this moment, God rejoices and says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, the reign of God has arrived. reign of God has arrived in Jesus come and commune with him and with each other as we anticipate his arrival come